Thank you, David, and thank you, for Carolyn, for reading earlier. You know, when someone comes to the end of their life, the words that they say just before they pass away are significant. And today we're looking at David's last words, if you will, as he addresses his son Solomon and as he addresses the people. Let me invite you to find a Bible this morning and turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. We're going to be in chapters 28 and 29 this morning as we walk through this final scene in the life of David. We begin in chapter 28 with David summoning all the leaders of the nation. He calls them to Jerusalem, to the city of David. And look with me in verse 1, 1 Chronicles 28. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the warriors, and all the brave fighting men. They're all being summoned together in one place. And picture with me David as an old man rising to address the crowd. The people who are gathered... Perhaps some had been with David for a long time. They had seen the good. They had seen the bad. And they know that their king will not be around much longer. And so I would bet a pen would, you would hear a pen drop as David rose to address the crowd. What is he going to say? David begins by recalling a key disappointment in his life. I'm sure that there are many, but he begins with this whole deal about the temple. In verse 2, King David rose to his feet and said... Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, but, and may, I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Now, you might remember the story. We spent a whole week on it. We, we talked about the fact that sometimes God tells us no. This is a key experience for David. He really wanted to build the temple, but he's not the one. David is reminding his people and us that there are disappointments in life. David then moves on to recap the blessings that he has experienced. Verse 4, Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. Now, David may have had disappointments in his life. He may not have achieved all that he wanted, But no doubt, he recognizes God's provision for him. He knows that God has chosen him. He continues to describe God choosing him from all his brothers and then choosing his son to succeed him as king. And David's disappointment in building the temple is truly surpassed by the fact that his son will do it. He explains in verse 6, He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I'll be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving and carrying out my commands and laws as is is being done at this time. David reflects on God's provision. And here at the end of his life, he's grateful for all that God has given him. He's overwhelmed by the fact that God has used him. And his words then move quickly from from praising God to instructions for his son. Now, David has made mistakes. If you've been in this series, you know that he's failed at multiple points in his life. He's learned hard lessons. And so he instructs his son. He hopes that Solomon can avoid the roads that he has traveled. He says to him in verse 8, So now I charge you, speaking to Solomon, 
inside of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God. Be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. David longs for his son to follow God. David knows what it means to cling to God. I can imagine David turning to Solomon in the presence of his leaders, looking at him and begging him, look at verse 9, and you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. Now this is a packed verse here. What does it mean? What, what is he asking Solomon to do? I want to point out a few words here. First of all, David tells him to acknowledge God. Now that Hebrew word is the Hebrew word yada, and it means to know. In other words, David, I want you to know God. That's a relational word. It's even used to describe a man laying with his wife. You see, David understands that following God is not about following a list of rules. It's not about practicing a religion. It's about a relationship. It's about an intimate experience with God. And David wants Solomon to yada, to know God. But as he knows God, he will serve him. Look what he says, verse 9. Serve him with wholehearted devotion. Now that word serve is the word that is often translated as work. It's avad. So we know God, but not only do we know him, our actions display that relationship with him. We serve him. We do work for him. And then look at what David says next in verse 9. And with a willing mind. Now the Hebrew word here for willing is often translated as delight. In other words, our relationship with God is not one of drudgery. It should be delight. It is willing. And the word translated here for mind is often translated as soul or life. In, in other words, God does not want us following a stale list of rules. He wants us to live lives where we know Him, where we serve Him out of delight for our relationship with Him. It's a beautiful picture of what it means to follow God, to serve God. Again, David knows what it means to walk with God. And as an old man, he's describing his relationship with God. Look at what he, do, he says next. He reminds his son and all the leaders of Israel. This is verse 9. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. It's a profound statement here. David understands, look, Solomon, it's not going to work just trying to follow a list of rules. Your relationship with God has to be one where you know him, where you serve him out of your heart. And in fact, God knows what's going on in your heart. He knows your motives. And God cares just as much about your motives as he does your actions. Now, this might seem a little scary to you and me, right? That God would be looking at our hearts. But David knows that his son will need to have a heart for God if he's ever going to follow God. I mean, look at the last part of David's challenge to his son in verse 9 and 10. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. You see, David knows that Solomon will be pulled away from God. He knows that it will not be easy for him. He's going to be the king. And being a king is a busy life, isn't it? Being a king means you have power and you have lots of distractions. 
But David challenges his son to faithfulness. I love this picture. I love how David describes what it means to follow God. As we read these words together, we are reminded of what it means to follow God. We are reminded that God deeply desires relationship with him. And God's commands, they guide us, but they must be followed with our hearts in relationship with him. As we continue this text, we'll notice in verses 11 through 19 here, David gives specific instructions about the temple. You've got the layouts, you've got the measurements, the furniture. They're all picked out. And then David sums it up in verse 19. All this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me. And he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. Here's the plan, Solomon hands it to him in writing. He knows that the plans are grand. He knows that the work will be beyond his son's ability. He knows that Solomon will need to depend on God if he's ever going to accomplish this work. Look what he says in verse 20. David also said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. David tells him, Solomon, the people are ready. He has it all planned out, all lined up. Now flip with me over to chapter 29 here, and we are reminded of the extraordinary task at hand for Solomon. Verse 1, Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because the palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. You have to wonder if Solomon's sitting there thinking, Do I have what it takes? Am I going to be able to do what my father wants me to do? But David is equipping his son for the task. Look at verse 2. With all my my resources I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work. Silver for the silver. Bronze for the bronze. Iron for for the iron. Wood for the wood, wood. As well as onyx for the settings. Turquoise. Stones of various colors and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in large quantities. David has been saving up. He's been storing this stuff for his son. But look at what he does next. Verse 3. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Now David not only offers extreme resources, but he also pulls out his checkbook and gives his personal resources, his personal treasure to be used for the temple. He knows that it will take more than what they have on hand. He knows that it will take more than just his own gifts. And so he invites everyone to participate. He invites the leaders to give. Look at verse 5. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? See, David is calling the leaders to put their resources into the project. It's one thing to say, go ahead, David. Good idea. Great. Build the temple. It's another thing to pull out your checkbook and help make it happen. And that's how the leaders are going to respond. Look at verse 6. Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. In verses 8, 7, and 8, we get the details of what they gave. But they're not just giving because they have to. They're not just offering lip service to this idea. They're not even giving because it was a good thing to do and everybody else was doing it. They're gladly sacrificing their own resources 
so the temple can be constructed because they believe that this is what God wants them to do. Look at verse 9. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. There's that word again, heart, right? They gave how? Wholeheartedly. Not out of compulsion. Not because they had to. They gave because they wanted to. The freely and wholeheartedly giving. Everybody's rejoicing as well as David. He knows that God is going to be glorified in all of this. Look at what he does in verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. He recognizes that God is the one who's providing here. And while the people are offering up their stuff, David says this is really God's doing. Verse 11, yours, Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. David knows none of this would be happening if it weren't for God. He acknowledges God as provider of all things. Look at verse 12. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God... We give you thanks and praise your glorious name. And David is happy to say the least. He wants the temple to be great. It's been a life dream of his. But he's careful, isn't he? He's careful to give God the credit. He's learned that pride will destroy. And he knows he must be careful not be the, to not be the one to take the credit. David is overwhelmed by all of this. At the very end of his life, he's watching God provide through the gifts and the leaders and the supplies to build the temple. He could have boasted in his leadership. He could have taken credit, you know, said, hey, you know, look how great a leader I am. I'm going to build this temple for God. But that's not what he does. Look at his posture before God. And we're challenged to have the same posture. Look at verse 14. But who am I and who are, your, who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. In other words, David says, we wouldn't have a penny if, God, you had not given it to us. It's a powerful statement. And it's an appropriate posture for each one of us. What are we able to give? Only what God has given to us first. David continues to confess God's abundant provision. Verse 15, we are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes, where? From your hand. And it all belongs to you. Not a hint of pride, right? David has learned what it means to be humble before God. And he knows that God is not impressed with gold or jewels or lavish materials. God only wants one thing. He wants our hearts. And he looks at Solomon and he says, he wants your heart, son. That's what he wants. The temple's going to be grand. You're going to build it. You're going to see this kingdom explode. And that's what's going to happen for Solomon. But Solomon, all that really matters is that you follow God and that you walk with him humbly. David states in verse 17, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I've seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. David wants God to know, look, I don't have any other agenda. I just want people to follow you. And I want my son to follow you. He wants to know 
that it, he wants God to know that his heart's in the right place. Now, without reading every word, this chapter really is a beautiful picture of the people of God worshiping God. Look down at verse 20 with me. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God, so that all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord, the king. Did you see this picture here? Isn't this beautiful? David is an old man standing there, his son Solomon by his side. All the leaders and all the people prostrate before God, worshiping him. And the transition of the throne is beginning here to move from David to Solomon. David is fading off the scene. We read in verse 25, The Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him royal splendor such as no king over Israel ever had before. And then David's rule is summed up here. The end of the chapter, verses 26 or 28, David, son of Jesse, was king over Israel. He ruled over Israel 40 years, 7 in Hebron, 33 in Jerusalem. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed life, wealth, and honor. His son Solomon succeeded him as king. And then the author of 1 Chronicles points to additional material. He says in verse 29, As for the events of King David's reign, from beginning to end they are written in the records of Samuel the seer, the records of Nathan the prophet, and the records of Gad the seer. Together with the, de- with the details of his reign and power and the circumstances that surrounded him and Israel and all the kingdom of all the other lands. In other words, if you want to know more, you can go read more material. And so the story of David comes to an end. What a beautiful picture. While David's life is one of ups and downs, it is a life of walking with God and veering from God at times. Yet in the end, we find David surrendered before God. Here he is humble, he is honest, he is thankful. He's giving his son instructions for the future. Now, Solomon's life is another interesting story. Maybe we'll study it in the future. But for now, we'll close this story. And as we close this morning, would you picture with me aging David addressing his people and his son Solomon, offering words of challenge to them, describing what it means to follow God. God providing, David following, God instructing, David listening and obeying. God blessing, and then David giving all the credit back to God. What about you and me? What about our lives? How will they be recorded? What is the legacy that we're leaving for future generations? How do we stand before God?